0: part of the teaching team here at Cornerstone. I also get to serve as the lead for this ministry we call Rendezvous, which is predominantly geared for our 20s and 30s, and uh, I also get to oversee uh, the youth ministry. Um, next week, Pastor Terry's going to be back. He's going to be sharing a couple weeks with us, and, uh, and he's going to be doing that, and then we'll hear from some other speakers later on in the month. But uh, this weekend, I get the distinct privilege of sharing with you uh, a real simple idea. We've been walking through this uh, Confidere series, Advancing with Faith. And we've been able to hear from different perspectives, different angles on what this might look like for our lives. And uh, this weekend, here this early afternoon, I'd love to share with you this simple idea, which is, which is this. That advancing with faith inevitably will bring us to these moments, the decision points, where God will ask us to respond to a conviction, a, a burden he wants to give us. And what we do in those moments will make all the difference and so we're going to be sitting on this word looking at it maybe mulling it over seeing what God may want to say to us as we share in it but uh you know we've been able to share in these songs together we've been able to draw ourselves close uh to to the Lord and I'm hoping that in this remaining time we're able to hear some of his voice and so I'd love to pray over our time here and uh, if you join me I'd love to do that Um, and so God thank you first of all thank you that uh That everything we just sung about you is is true and real. And that you are great. Even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our frustrations, irritations, uh, you are able to see us through these things. And and I just think of those of us, God, who may have entered your home, your house, maybe a bit weary. Maybe we're currently walking through different challenges, maybe burdens that are not uh, positive. They weigh on us. And our heart, God, is crying out to you, asking for some of your new life to fill us. And so I pray that you would answer that cry, that you would answer that song we just shared in, and that you would unlock some of your spirit, and that you would inject it into this word that we're about to share, and that you would fill our souls with a real sense of your nearness. I pray for your strengthening, your encouraging, your inspiring word to have its way here. May you be with us. May you bless the remainder of our time, incline our ear to you, help us hear your voice for us. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, advancing with faith, it will inevitably bring us to these moments where God will invite us to respond to a conviction, a burden he wants to give us. And, uh, you know, Burden. Burden may be a word that for us may not represent something positive. If anything, some of us might associate that word, many of us might associate that word with something that we would rather not have in our lives. And we we may even go as far as saying, you know what, there are burdens in my life that I, I rather despise, to be honest. And the truth of the matter is God's grace is able to help us through those things. He's able to endure us through those things. And and, and the beauty of his redemptive work is that he's able to take the most negative of things in our lives and the most negative of burdens. And even there, he's able to use that for our good. Though he may not intended for that to be there, he's able in his amazing love to use all things together for the good of those who love him. And so there is that understanding of a burden, and, and that's very true, but I would like us to consider a different, different perspective on what we're calling a burden. It's this idea that God may want to give us something that grips our soul for what he longs to do in us and through us, something that does not let us be unless we respond and engage in it. And there are things that God may want to do, deposit within us that he is calling us, compelling us to respond to. And you know, this idea... The burden-led life, it, 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 it really reminded me of this um, conversation I was able to have early on. In, and I was able to share a season of my life with somebody in the youth ministry who was volunteering as well. And I was, I was actually around, I was a teenager. I was around 18 and 19. I had just started serving and uh, I had volunteered. They asked me to serve. They, they asked me to, to help them in whatever way I could. And so I was stacking chairs in the room and we, we actually met upstairs in one of the smaller rooms and we were stacking chairs. And I remember just getting to know some of the volunteers and I started getting curious why these adults were spending their time their Friday evenings or their Saturday mornings or their Sunday mornings with students with teens and I figured yes it was something of God's love in them but I wanted to see if there was anything more and so I remember asking different people and one person decided to share their story and it made an impression on me and I'd love to share that with you. See, this person actually ended up, they were already serving in the youth ministry for some time when I uh, started volunteering. And they told me that when they, they came to Cornerstone and they gave their life over to the Lord, they decided to, to connect with the church. And there were some classes that, some, some, a version of membership classes that were being offered up. And so she, she went to those, attended those. And afterwards, she ended up interviewing with one of the pastoral staff members. And she re- admired this person. It was a, a woman that she greatly respected. She got to know. And and as in the interview process, uh, the person said, you know, I'd love for you to serve in this one particular ministry where there's kind of a high need. And she had a, a bubbly personality. She was pretty energetic and outgoing. And so this, this woman that she respected said, why don't you serve with the teens? They, 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 they need someone just like you who's, who's just outgoing and energetic. And, and that's exactly what they need. And she told me, you know what, Lewis, my, my initial thought was, well, I don't like teens. <laughs> but... She convinced her, and she respected this woman that was telling her to fill in the need, and so she decided to go, and, and, and she stepped into this. And she said, you know, as I stepped into this need and I, I started kind of hanging out with more students, I, I liked them even less. So they, she, she, <laughs> she, she found them, she, she, she was just being honest with me. She found them to be a little bit rude. Uh, she, they, were, they were blunt in their honesty, gave her feedback. She never had asked for it. And... <laughs> she said that they, they had a distinct lack of, of gratitude. Almost when, when she, would, she would give up her time, she would show up to a different event, she would take them to places, pick them up and take them back, and she, she found them not really being grateful but more expecting her to do this. This is, this is, this is your job. And she said, no, no, it's not, I'm a volunteer. So she kind of was frustrated with this, and 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 she said that she was all the while thinking, what kind of exit strategy she can employ in this situation, (laughs) without disappointing the person she respected. And she said, and so I asked her, I said, well, what kept you here? I mean, you've been here now for several years. She said, well, all that adjusted for me when I went to this camp, this summer camp. And for those of us who may not know, summer camp. For a student, is a week-long adventure of fun, of staying up late at night, having games all day, having people invest into you. You get shelter, food, you get games, you get entertainment, you get it all. And then you get something of a, a word from God. For teenagers, it's a great, great event. For a volunteer, it's boot camp, really. <laughs> Because you end up spending 24 hours a day, almost seven days a week with this person, these teens. You end up spending, you eat with them, you, you, you go to sleep in the same cabin, you wake up and they're there. You walk out, you want time alone. They, they are everywhere around you. There is no escaping. And so usually when a volunteer goes to the camp, one of two things happens. One, they, they, they leave the ministry when they get back. <laughs> or two, something adjusts. And and she said that she was at this camp. And around the third or fourth day, she was becoming a bit irritated, a bit uh, agitated. She was physically weary. She'd stay up until midnight, wake up at six, and really little time alone. And although she had a bubbly personality, even, even that was dissipating. And one evening after a service, she was sitting in, in the place where they had the gathering. And after there was a message, there was, a band came up and started sharing music. And she decided she wanted to be alone. And she made her way to the back of the gathering space, and she took a seat, and she sat there, and she was already mulling over. When I get back home, things are changing. I'm I'm done. And all of a sudden, she started seeing that the group of five or six girls that she had been working with here in our church and at the camp that she had been sharing this cabin with started looking for her, and so she started praying that they would not find her. (laughs) And she sat there. And they looked, and they looked, and she watched them, and they spotted her. And they made their way back to where she was, and they pulled up a chair, and they surrounded her. And she didn't really have the heart to tell them, get get away from me. (laughs) So she let them be. They sat around her, and they did something that surprised her a little bit. They ended up uh, saying, you know, we'd like to pray for you. And it's kind of the ultimate trump card. How could you refuse prayer? (laughs) So she said, all right. All right. And so they put their hands on her, and they started praying. And in their honest, blunt way, their way without any sense of guile, they start praying. And she said that they started praying that God would bless her, that God would reward her for her labor. And maybe they didn't say it as eloquently, but that's what they were saying that God would not only reward her for what she had been doing for them, all the investment, all the energy, all the rides, all the time she had spent with them, but that also she would get a picture. And this is what I remember her telling, that she, she would get a picture of the impact she was making on them. And in their sincerity, and in their honest prayer, they started breaking Tears started being shed and her cynicism started to give way. Her irritation started to be uh, subsided and something inside of her broke. And she said this to me that I still remember. It was almost, she said, "Louis, it was almost as if God was saying to me in stereo, will you receive my broken heart for these girls? Will you allow it to fuel you? And she said, that, that, that changed things. I was ruined. I couldn't leave them now that's where I belonged. Yeah, God had given her a burden. And i remember that making such an impact on me and i i, I share that with you because i wonder how many of us the, we we are currently walking through situations right now where god is inviting us to step into a need to receive somewhat of his heartbeat for those around us but everything in us is hesitant reluctant not wanting to engage maybe even resistance we're unhappy with this situation perhaps we stepped in a little bit uh cautiously and now that we're in it we're thinking you know what this is a Big mistake. And all the while, God is actually trying to deposit a conviction, a burden, a passion for the setting we're in. And what we do there, how we respond, is what makes the difference. In the passage we're going to look at, it's an account. It's quite an amazing account of this man, Peter, who who ended up defending what God was doing after he reluctantly stepped into it. And if you open up your handout, we'll go ahead and step into this in Acts 11. But just to kind of set the stage, see, this this message, this idea is really a second component because uh, several weeks ago I had the the privilege of being able to share and i know not all of us were here but we were able to talk about what god was doing in peter's life see god had assigned peter and and jesus disciples the task of telling the world all the nations about him but they were doing that to an extent they were doing that within their own comfort circle of their own Jewish brethren, and, and God wanted them to break out. And so God stepped into Peter's prayer life and challenged him to break out. And we talked about this, that God wanted him to break out of his boxes. And, and Peter actually ended up doing that. And he ended up going to this man, Cornelius' house, somebody who was not one of his own. And God did something powerful, visited what they call the Gentiles. And this powerful encounter spread back the word got around and what we're going to take a look at is kind of the second piece what happened on the other end of this encounter see the rest of the church in jerusalem the rest of the brethren had heard about what peter did and what god did and they had some words for peter and so peter started making his way back to judea to jerusalem we pick up in verse one that we're told that soon the news reached the the apostles And other believers in Judea, that the Gentiles, that is, those uh, in Cornelius' home who were not Jewish, had received the word of God. And, you know, we read that, and we think, that's great news. I mean, God is advancing. God is bringing new life. People are opening up to Christ. And and we would think that 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 is cause for joy and celebration, but their response is actually quite, quite the opposite. Because in verse 2, we're told that when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem from Cornelius' house, the Jewish believers criticized him. And this is a criticism. Peter, verse 3, you entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them. How could you do that? How could you violate one of our customs? We know there's a difference. There are those inside that we can engage with, and then those are outside. We must avoid. And you not only engaged with people who are not one of us, you did the ultimate gesture of acceptance and embrace. You had a meal with them. And the irony is that Peter, Peter would have understood exactly what their sentiment was because he identified with them before he saw God move. And so, Peter, who reluctantly stepped into this, ends up defending and seeking to sway the rest of the brethren to what God was up to. He says, okay, let me me tell you. Verse 4, Then Peter told them exactly what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I understand where you're coming from. I do. Let me tell you what happened, why I did this. I didn't just wake up and do it. Something powerful has happened. Verse 5, I was in the town of Joppa, and he said, and while I was praying, I, I, I went into a trance. I, I, my imagination took over, and I, I, I now see it was a vision. I, I saw a vision, something like a large sheet, and this was a vision. A large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it, it came right down to me, right in front of me. Verse 6, when I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, which would kind of Call up a resistant feeling within everyone listening, which it did to Peter. Because they, they understood that in their culture, there was some Levitical laws that said there are certain foods to be engaged with, those are clean and kosher. And then there's a, there are other foods not to be engaged with, those are unclean, those, those are to be avoided. And so Peter is telling them this story, and he's telling them of this vision. He says, Now, this is what happened at verse seven I heard a voice, and it said to me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. It told me to violate the very things you and I have been raised to obey. And so you get the sense that his audience is almost asking, well, what did you do? How did you respond? Verse 8, I said, no, Lord. I didn't just say it, I, I, I replied, I exclaimed, I, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. And I won't start now. And you could almost hear them say, well, that's good, that's right, that's the right response for you to have. Yes, this is true. But then I heard something else, verse 9, but the voice from heaven spoke again, and it told me something. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. See, I was being told, guys, that things have changed. And what Jesus has done has many more implications than we are living in. I was being challenged. And in fact, I resisted this. In verse 10, we're told that this happened three times, he tells them. See, guys, I didn't just resist it once. This happened again. And the second time, the sheep was there, and the reptiles were there, and the animals were there. And I was told, get up and kill and eat, engage this, which you have avoided. Which, by the way, was God's way of telling him, hey, listen, you have a paradigm about people. You engage certain people, and you avoid others. And I want you to change that paradigm. It wasn't necessarily about food. God was using this to speak to Peter and three times this happened and three times I said no and three times God said don't call it unclean and three times over and over and over until we're told that this happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven and just then when this vision ended and I kind of came to and I realized what does this mean that in verse 11 we're told just then three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying guys. This is what happened. And I was mulling this over. And then right then, something of an impression, verse 12, the Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles, that they weren't one of us. And so I took these six brothers here. They accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. We made our way there. And what he doesn't tell them is that when he gets there all along the way, he's thinking and considering what this means. And he goes into Cornelius' house and he tells them, This is against my custom. I feel very uncomfortable in your house. I'm here reluctantly. So I don't know why you sent for me, but I want to know. Why am I here? And Cornelius responds. Verse 14, see, uh, 13. He told us how an angel had appeared to him. God was on the move on the other side. In Cornelius' life, in his prayers, an angel appeared to him in his home, and he had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Both of them just given details. They obey in the details, in the uncertainty. Verse 14, he will tell you. This is, this is what will happen. He will tell you and everyone in your household how you can be saved. And so Cornelius is sitting there and saying, Peter, I, I kind of don't know why you're here. I was just told to get you, and you're supposed to have something for us. A message. And so Peter recognizes, ah, I'm supposed to tell you about, about Christ. And so he does. In verse 15, we're told that as he began to speak and as he begins to tell about Jesus, in his reluctance, the Holy Spirit fell on them. God made himself known. And just as he fell on us, he tells them, listen, it's almost as if Peter's saying to them, you know what that's like, guys. When God is present, it's unmistakable. He did it to us. He did it to them. And this was just as I was talking, verse 16. And then as I was talking, I remembered, I thought of the Lord's words. That's what Jesus said to us. He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit in God's presence. That will be the confirmation that I'm behind this. And so with that in mind, verse 17, Peter looks at them and says, since since God gave these Gentiles, these people who are not one of us, Since he gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to stand in God's way? Who are we to stand in God's way? See, I used to identify with you. I used to agree with your sentiment, your paradigm. But I reluctantly responded and then God moved. And now I'm here telling you That something beyond us is happening. Verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting. They began praising God. And they said, we can see, we see now, Peter, that God has also given the Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish faith, the privilege of repenting, turning away from their way of life, and receiving eternal life. And that moment, this moment, for all of our history becomes uh, the, the catalyst behind why the church opened its doors and its message and this good news they had to the rest of the Roman world. Because one man decided to respond And out of that response, something of a conviction was given, a burden. And then he defended it. And all of a sudden, life was all in it. And and here's the thing. This is not only a powerful account that we get to look at and revisit time and time again. It it is something I am convinced God may have for us to consider today in our context. And I I put these under just some things that I'd like us to uh, think about. And firstly, I like to say that Peter serves as a model, an example, an illustration that even reluctant obedience can be used by God. And this is, this is uh, certainly not God's best for us. I mean, I think God would have it so that if he spoke to us, if an angel appeared before us, or if we had something of his immediate presence, that our response would be like, okay, God, this is you, obviously, I'm going to say Yes. I think something of the Lord's heart would desire that from us. But the truth of the matter is we're way more like Peter. We have things inside of us that fight us, that resist us. And and, and the amazing thing is that every step of the way, Peter is resistant. I wonder how many of us, God is trying to prompt us, trying to move us out of a point of uh, apathy or maybe a sedentary nature. And God is trying to mobilize us call us out, and everything in us is saying, maybe we don't say it, but our posture is, no, I, I think this is you, God, but um, I don't want it. And yet, in his reluctance, God moved. In, in fact, it's so, it's so strong in terms of how much uh, Peter's, we could even call it stubborn resistance was, that three times this vision is given, and just kind of as an insurance policy, three people come to retrieve him. Just to make sure. And even then, along the way, it's almost as if he's stepping along the way, but almost being dragged along the way, to the point where when he steps in Cornelius' house, he wants to vocalize how uncomfortable he feels. And yet... God moved. It just tells us that we don't have to be fully confident before we engage. Many times, our doubts are supposed to be a part of the journey with us. Many times, our uncertainty, our hesitations, our reservations, our anxieties may not leave before we move. Because even there, God is able to do something. See, this is a clear illustration that God is able to use even our reluctant obedience, which is really goes to show us that sometimes, a lot of times, his burdens, they are the result of reluctant obedience. And we become somewhat of what Peter became, because this is our second consideration. That I think God longs to make us advocates of his work in other people's lives. That something happens when we step out, when we step into it. And this is the amazing thing. Peter, the one who resisted, became the man who now convinced the rest of the church. The man who did not want to go in the first place ended up becoming the man who said, "Uh, uh, let me tell you something. I'm going to speak up for what God is doing. And a lot of times, we might step into things and it's not until we step in faithfully, something of his heart for what he wants to do through us penetrates our soul. And this is really, this is really what, it, what I was being told, is that there was irritation. There was a, a, a lack of uh, wanting to be in the youth ministry for this volunteer, but then all of a sudden, something of God's heart broke her, and now she became an advocate what god was doing and you know the truth of the matter is our our church is filled with people who serve in different arenas because they have a burden they have they have a voice to speak out maybe it's for the children within our in our church and families Or maybe it is with the students. Or maybe it is with college students and above. Or perhaps some of us, we feel inclined to create a hospitable environment so we serve in different ways through our small groups. Or some of us feel inclined to serve those less fortunate in us and we get involved through missions organizations and outreach organizations through our body. And you know what happens is when we become advocates of his work in other people's lives, something beautiful happens. We become part of his expression for this city that we love. And it's amazing to see that not only do we become part of his expression, we also find that when we do this, we encounter a deep well of courage that will give us the strength to overcome criticisms, obstacles, discouragement. And it will fuel us. Nothing can shut out the fire lit within us by God's Spirit. And we'll become like Jeremiah who said, I tried the whole silent route. I really did. But his word burned so deeply within me, I couldn't keep silent. Or like Paul, the one who is described as kicking against the goads, kicking against what God was doing. He says, I am compelled by the love of Christ to speak about him. Woe is me if I don't. See, we become advocates of his activity, but not only that, it, it fuels us, it strengthens us. And as, as we do this, as we allow the burden to lead us, we end up, when we respond, we end up seeing new life burst forth. And, and this, is, uh, this is what I love. I think this is where Peter was able to speak uh, convincingly out of a source of conviction. Now, he didn't want to necessarily do it. But new life burst forth. It wasn't when his, his boxes, his paradigms were broken that his people, his brothers were convinced. It wasn't when he went to Cornelius' house that his people were convinced. It was when he did this, he fulfilled the assignment, and then life burst forth. And, and see, when we engage, when we respond to the conviction, the burden God wants to lay within us, we position ourselves to a front row seat, of what he wants to do. And Peter's almost saying to them, listen guys, I went and I got to see it. Don't you? Don't you wanna see it? Don't you wanna see God move in people's lives? Who are we to oppose it? Let's team up with it. And we can now understand why they would turn completely around and say, okay, Peter, you know what? I I also wanna see it. I I wonder. What is the new life God wants us to be a part of? Who are the people he wants to use us to touch? Who, who are the individuals that maybe we reluctantly step into their lives to meet a need or a responsibility or, or to, to treat others a different way than we would be feeling, feel inclined to do, and yet we do it, and out of that we get to see something that can never be taken away or replaced, God's activity. Because where God is active... Life can't help but burst forth. If death itself couldn't hold him down, how much less the obstacles and the trials and the tribulations we go through. In fact, Paul was led to tell the Romans to remind them, listen, listen, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We become part of that story when we respond to the burden. He longs to deposit within our hearts. See, this is the beauty of advancing with faith. In fact, in a short time, we're going to receive our time of giving and the band's going to come up and share with us the closing song, which is Let Me Feel You Shine. And, and this is really a prayer for, for God to shine in the midst of their trial. And I, I, I had us think about this, share on this song, because I think many times it's when we respond. It's when we seek him. It's when we step into his impulses, his (sighs) passion, his burden, that we see him shine the most. May we get that privilege. May we do it this week. May we do it the rest of this day as we seek to advance with faith. May we feel him shine. And may his life burst forth. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you first loved us and you decided to step into our world and decided to share of your love with us. Thank you that your heart breaks for us. I pray, God, that uh, that you would help us be open to the burdens you want to give us, the broken heart you have for those around us, and I think of those of us who may be in different friendship circles or in our job setting or maybe in relationships where we would rather not be and yet you have placed us there. I pray that you help us receive something of your heart for them and that it would become a fuel so strong we can't help but respond. And in our response, I pray that you do what you do best, that you would move and ignite new life in us, through us, and all around us. May you help us be a part of your expression of your broken heart for this city, for this place, for this time you've placed us in. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.